Well, we're it's about halfway through Canto 30. Before I get to the theme of Dante is judged in it, the presence of um, Beatrice, there's a few notes on Sophia, Sapientia, wisdom. Here, maybe, icons can help us. Take, for example, a Novgorod icon of the 11th century of the divine Sophia. <coughs> Sophia, the divine wisdom, is shown at the centre of the panel, seated on a throne or maybe a table. That's a wonderful play, isn't it, between throne and table. The, uh, the table, the banquet, um, the sacredness of the meal. So it could be a, a throne or a table. She is an angelic woman with wings. Her robe is purple and gold. To the left of her is the Virgin of the Holy Sign. That is the icon of Mary uh, within whom is just like a disc within which is Christ Emmanuel, the, the eternal child. Um, to the right there uh, is of her is St. John the Forerunner or John the Baptist. Above Sophia, the angel woman, the angelic woman, there is our Lord. And above him is the empty throne of God, either side of which angels peer down looking at Sophia. How may we begin to explain the icon? Sophia like Beatrice, is she who binds the archetypes to the oneness. Some Russian theologians have likened the divine wisdom to the fourth person of the Trinity, sort of Jungian undertones. The Russian Sophianists describe her as the mirror of God, the mirror within all of us of the awareness which reflects God's presence. To God, Sophia is feminine. To us, she may be either male or female, depending on our sexuality. And Vladimir Solovyev suggested that Sophia's maleness is manifested in our Lord and her femaleness by the Mother of God. Maybe there is a connection here, an iconographic connection, between Dante and the teaching of the icon. Beatrice is the mirror in which Dante comes to know our Lord. In Paradise he has three visions of Christ. And Ultimately, in the last canto of the Paradiso, he has a vision of the Mother of God. That's by way of introduction.
Dante is judged. Beatrice appears on the chariot dressed in green. Dante stresses olive green so as to associate Beatrice with Minerva, the classical goddess of wisdom. White, purity, and red, love. The colors of faith, hope, and charity, agape. We could also add that she is perfect nature, <coughs> the garden. How many times, whilst in Italy, one may look down towards one's plate on which lies delicious food and see the Beatrician colours. Of course, they are also the colours of Italy's national flag. And as I said before, that during the Risorgimento, there was a whole Masonic mythology woven around Beatrice and Dante's divine comedy. Her arrival from above, from paradise, plays with the ambiguity of her as Beatrice and Christ. This is done with memorable lines describing dawn and the rising of the sun, here suitably veiled with mist in order that Dante may behold his beloved. Indeed, Beatrice, the beloved, our beloved, is a veiled image of the Lord. Was Dante bearing in mind, as Charles Singleton suggests, a sermon of St. Bernard of Clairvaux? I quote from the sermon, Therefore the kindly saviour and physician of souls comes down from the heights and he tempers the brilliance of his light for tender eyes. He carries with him a lantern in the glorified body, free of the slightest stain that he has assumed. This is indeed that lightsome and gleaming cloud which the prophet Isaiah had said he was to ascend upon that he might descend into Egypt. Dante is struck by all, for certainly he knows the antico amore, the power of the old, old love in all its mastering might. Line 39. Yeah, 39, obvious. Um, number sim symbolism, three and nine, the numbers associated with um, Beatrice. And verses 40 to 48 are heart-rendering. The love of a nine-year-old or ten-year-old boy, calf love, as we mockingly say today, and that of a mature man. I know the embers of the ancient flame are all confused and somehow one within Dante. Conosco i segni dell'antica fiamma. 
Beatrice's first spoken word is Dante's own name, the only time it is mentioned in the whole of the poem. Now that Virgil has left his side, Beatrice's words will cut through his soul like a sword, for he is about to be judged, to see his sin in its undiluted fullness. I quote lines 73 to 75. Beatrice is speaking. Look on us well. We are indeed, we are Beatrice. How has how has thou, deni thou denied to climb the hill? Didst thou not know that man is happy here? Beatrice has spoken with the royal we, and with cutting irony has emphasized her name, blessing, beatitude. Why, but why do we earn stray like lost sheep? Why do we delay? Why does God's ever-preventing grace have to wait for our own feeble turning? Why do we squander our freedom of will? But why, why? Dante is so ashamed that he looks down and sees his reflection in the waters of Lethe. His life is laid out all before him and the angels sing the first nine verses of Psalm 31. They must be quoted in full. In thee, O Lord, have I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Make haste to deliver me. Be thou my strong rock and house of defence, that thou mayest save me. For thou art my strong rock and my castle. Be thou also my guide, and lead me for thy name's sake. Draw me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, thou God of truth. I have hated them that hold superstitious vanities. My trust has been in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy. For thou hast considered my trouble and hast known my soul in adversities. Thou hast not shut me up into the, in the hand of the enemy, but to set my feet in a large room. Dante was unable to weep until these words were sung. How often we need help to unlock the doors and bolts of our hearts in order that the King of Glory may enter. Consider at this point the following prayer of St. Demetrius of Rostov. Open, O doors and bolts of my heart, that Christ the King of glory may enter. Enter, O my light, and enlighten my darkness. Enter, O my life, and resurrect my deadness. 
Enter, O my physician, and heal my wounds. Enter, O divine fire, and burn up the thorns of my sins. Ignite my inward parts and my heart with the flame of thy love. Enter, O my king, and, and destroy in me the kingdom of sin. Sit on the throne of my heart and reign in me alone. O thou, King and Lord. Poor Dante, weak human soul as we all are, hears all the angels compassionately protest, Lady, why put him to a shame like this? The ice within his heart begins to melt, and one cannot help but think of the tale of the Snow Queen. Beatrice, like little Gerda, has enabled Dante's salvation. The splinter of ice must melt in his heart so as to know the fullness of love. The melting is symbolised by the, the weeping. Beatrice's speech from line 103 to the end should be read and carefully reread. We have to recognize how it is relevant to us in our own individual lives, lives that have failed to pass the straight gate, or those of us who have not as yet cast off the burden of our sins so as to pass through the eye of the needle. Canto 31, Dante's Confession. This great canto teaches the fulfilment of repentance. It makes for uncomfortable reading, and reminds us that Dante is experiencing judgment. <coughs> Beatrice insists that he must verbalize his confession, his sin. Confession is not simply a matter of saying, I've done this, I've done that. The good Lord knows that pathetic list all too well, for he has searched us out and known us. I refer you to Psalm 139. He requires something more. Have we loved God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and our neighbours as ourselves? Have we loved our Lord totally, without deluding ourselves? Have we loved Beatrice as she truly is? That is Christ in our neighbour. The moment such questions are asked, the hardness of the selfhood begins to come into focus. And the sad memories, as Dante says, are not yet drowned by this water of oblivion. That's 31 lines 10 to 12. On affirming this to be true, <coughs> Dante breaks down. <coughs> it is as if an arrow has pierced his heart and he weeps as a child. Having once put his hand to the plough on beholding Beatrice's beauty, why did he give up his true pilgrimage? Lines 
31, 34 to 36. Things transitory with their false delight weeping us, I said, entice, entice my steps aside soon as your face was hidden from my sight. That's a reference to Beatrice's death, of course. Beatrice is pleased that Dante has been able to verbalise just a little of his sin. For whatever the case, the truth would have to be out eventually in God's supreme court at his death. Beatrice's rigour continues and she tells Dante to stop weeping, though she does refer to his tears as seeds, il seme del piangere, for tears our childhood weeping melts the ice within our hearts. Her words are devastating. Nature nor art could have presented him a greater sense of beauty than had done her earthly body, which now lies in dust. The first arrow of deceitful things ought to have been turned aside and with his whole heart, soul, mind and strength, he ought to have followed her beauty. Other girls and frivolities ought not to have distracted his mind. His intellect had even abandoned the true nature of Beatrice for mere speculative philosophy. Dante, Dante is conscience-stricken, repentant, ashamed, dumb, his head lowered on his chest as a child who has been found out. Beatrice tells him to raise his head and show his beard. He is not a child, but a man. Where is his true virility? With great effort, he lifts his head. The angels no longer strew flowers, but stand motionless. And Dante sees Beatrice turning towards the griffon, that is Christ, the one who is one person in two natures. On the far bank, Beatrice now looks even more beautiful and overcome with remorse, hating his former sins. He faints. You remember the other time Dante fainted was after the episode of Paolo and Francesca when he was encountered at the beginning of hell with adultery and he's obviously making a relationship between as it were um, false love here and true love that has overwhelmed him and remember it's important that Dante has been separated from the mask all along by the Rivalithe as it progresses through the sacred wood. When Dante comes to his senses, Matilda is carrying, dragging him across Lethe. 
and he hears the antiphon Asperges me being sung. Thou shalt purge me, O Lord, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, my God, after thy great goodness. Presumably, Dante hears all the words of Psalm 51, the psalm that traditionally is King David's repentance for his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Again, the imagery becomes all the stronger. Therefore, all the words of the psalm should be read prayerfully, for Dante is speaking of his salvation and our own. Matilda pushes his head under the water so that he drinks the waters of oblivion, forgetting all the negativity of his past. You remember when we entered um, the gates of purgatory, one of the things that um, the guardian angel said, you mustn't look back, because if you look back, like Orpheus, you'll lose your beloved. So the, neg the negativity of the past has to be, as it were, pushed aside. He's drawn out of the water and washed clean. The four cardinal virtues, stars in heaven and Beatrice's handmaids, but nymphs in the garden, lead him in a dance to Beatrice, who is ever gazing on the griffon, on Christ. He is told to look and to behold well her eyes. The cardinal, cardinal or natural virtues were given us to prepare for Christ's revelation of grace. Hence the three, three theological virtues are dancing on the far side of the chariot, eventually coming together so that there are all seven nymphs dancing. Remember, this is a mask that Dante, not a vision, a mask that he is um, witnessing. All seven nymphs gather around Beatrice, and this underlines her role as Sapientia Sophia, wisdom. I quote from Proverbs 9, verse 9, Wisdom hath builded her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. And Proverbs 14, 33. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. The seven pillars also on a deeper level recall the menorah and the tree of life rather than Boethius's lady philosophy with her ladder. In Beatrice we have wisdom and the ascent to the heavens and through the heavens. This being interpreted means the soul's inward movement to God, the mystery of the heart in prayer. Dante beholds Beatrice's 
emerald eyes, green, the colour of the heart, in which one sees one or the other of the griffin's natures. This means that he beholds through his love for Beatrice and the wisdom to which she is a mirror, the double nature of the incarnation, now the divine, now the human. And yet he cannot hold his intellect, the loose, on the two natures of, as one person. <coughs> that is reserved for his beatific vision at the Commedia's conclusion. He feeds on, quote, that food, whilst the theological virtues dance towards Beatrice and ask her to turn her eyes to her pilgrim lover and then unveil, note well, the beauty of her mouth, her smile. And the eyes and the mouth refer us back to Dante's first encounter with Beatrice in the Vita Nuova. In another, the newly revealed sense, her eyes are wisdom's demonstrations and her smile are wisdom's persuasions. Both are the outward beauty of an inner light, the splendor of the living light eternal. O esplendor di viva luce eterna. 31 line 139 139 139 all numbers evoking the mystery of God and of Beatrice Dante is all the time playing these numerological games with us we will note from next week onwards that as Dante rises in the Paradiso through the heavens, so her eyes and smile have become ever increasingly beautiful. Now this brings us to Canto 32 and the second mask. So it's not a vision, very important. It's a mask, it's something to instruct him. Especially laid on for his benefit. The second mask has none of the appeal of the first. It is a grim evocation of history and the state of the church. The procession which has up to this moment been travelling from east to west now turns gradually around and makes its way to the centre of the earthly paradise. Dante hears the word Adam murmured by all as the procession encircles a very tall tree stripped of its flowers and foliage. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, stripped of its beauty due to the consequences of Adam's sin. 
and signifies the wounds now borne by humanity as the result. To our first parents, it was a symbol of obedience to God and his justice. Lines 32, I mean, Canto 32, lines 43 to 45. Blessed art thou, O Griffon, that thy bill plucks nothing from this tree of sweetest gust, which wrung the belly with such gripping ill. And the griffin answers, Thus is preserved the seed of all that is just. Line 48. The thoughts echo here. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. The tree is thus justice, law identical to God's will and plan of the salvation of the world, man justified through the Son's obedience to the will of the Father. Dante continues to build up his image. We learn that the pole by which the chariot is drawn is made from the same wood as the tree. Hence, in the light of the legend of the cross that Piero de la Francesca illustrated, the pole represents the cross. The griffin detaches the pole from the chariot and binds it to the tree, which immediately comes to life and blossoms again. In other words, it's become once the, the, the tree of life, alive, full of life-giving sap. The sequence allegorical teaches that through the incarnation, the second Adam, through obedience, unlike the first Adam, to the cross and non-participation in the fall, is bound to humanity, thus redeeming the old Adam, who may now receive new life from the perfect, perfect nature of Christ. Dante falls happily asleep. What does this signify? Maybe the peace and joy that is possible through reconciliation with God through Christ's sacrifice. He's woken up. The masked players and the griffin have left. That is, Christ has risen and left his church now with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Beatrice sits, encircled by the seven nymphs or virtues, carrying torches which never may be extinguished at the fault of the tree, as if they are the true guardians of the chariot. Once again, we must refer to Dante's political thought. What does the text imply by stating thou of that Rome where Christ a Roman is? Di quella Roma onde Cristo è Romano. Line 102. Dante believed that since our Lord was born and died in the Roman Empire, the institution was somehow 
blessed and part of God's will, especially its laws and justice. As you will see, Justinian um, represents um, this aspect of Rome when we get to the heaven of Jupiter. Church and state are responsible for the good estate of the chariot. This is the church. Here we have an insight into Dante's ideal church. She, Beatrice, sits beneath the tree of life. On its roots, poor, this is emphasised, like the primitive church. She has no need of palaces or courtiers. Enough to her are the virtues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, through which she is the custodian of Sapientia, Sophia, Wisdom. And Dante, like a child, sits at Beatrice's, that is, Wisdom's feet, and looks at the next mask's spectacle. First an e eagle, emblem of the Roman Empire, swoops down from the tree, rending its trunk, scattering its leaves and blossom to attack the chariot. This episode represents the persecutions of Nero, Diocletian and Julian and other heathen emperors, represents the age of martyrs. Such damages not only such damages not only the newly formed community of believers, but weakens the empire itself, sapping it of its spiritual energy. Secondly, the chariot is invaded by a ravenous fox, the symbol of the many heresies with which the early church had struggled, resulting from the uh, resulting in the early councils and the establishing of the creed and right belief. Thirdly, the eagle descends once more and leaves the car chariot covered with all its feathers. This represents the spurious, Dante did not know it was spurious at the time, donation of Constantine, which Dante saw as the root cause of all the ills of the church of his day, racked by greed and avarice, hopelessly intertwined with the political strife of Europe and a dubious so-called Holy Roman Empire. St. Peter's voice is heard saying, O oh, little bark of mine, how ill you are laden. See, Dante is being shown um, through the mask the, the main stages of the tragedy of, of the church as he understood it, the church in history. Fourthly, there's an attack by a dragon. It drives its tail from beneath through the chariot's floor and takes away part of the flooring. This is usually interpreted as the rise of Islam at the beginning of the 7th century. It will be remembered that Muhammad was taken as the image of the arch-schismatic in the ninth Malibolgia of hell. And yet Muhammad professed a reverence 
for our Lord. Consider, considering him to be the greatest of the prophets and even believed his birth to be miraculous and his return to earth to reconcile Islam and Christianity. Fifthly, the corruption of the church continues with more plumage falling on the chariot and the pole and the wheels become overrun with weeds. Tradition has it that Dante is here thinking of the donations, all the money and, and mafia-like weavings and dealings with the, with the popes of the time of Pepin, Charles the Great and other kings and emperors courting the favour of Rome. Sixthly, follows hideous distortions of the outward form of the church. Then it is, of course, seeing the church as the Western church. Seven hideous heads sprout, three on the chariot's pole, four on each corner of the car. Matters are rising now to an apocalyptic pitch. One is attempted to think of the Crusades, especially the fourth and the sack of Byzantium. But Dante seems to be referring to the Germanic stronghold over the papacy and the appointment of the seven electors of the empire. Three of these were mitred, the two horns, and archbishops of Mainz, Trier and Köln. This political intriguing led up to the papacies of Benedict VIII, Benedict IX, Clement II and Leo IX. And it's quite extraordinary in the context of history, Rome's eventual break with orthodoxy, which led in time to the Reformation and the, fragment, the tragic fragmenting of the church in the West. And the seventh and last episode is of the giant and the harlot, clearly inspired from St. John the Divine's um, vision, which represents the papacy fornicating with the kings of the earth. See um, the Inferno here, uh, Canto 19, um, lines 107 to 108, and the Book of Revelation um, 17, verse 3. The seventh uh, um, uh, and last episode of the giant and the harlot in particular referred to Philip the Fair of France and Clement the Fifth, Pope Clement the Fifth, and the Avignon captivity from the year 1305 onwards. That's when the, 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 um, the papacy was divided between Rome and Avignon. And do note that the harlot cannot even restrain from giving Dante the glad eye as the masks pass by. little touch of Dante's humour. Now, the significance of 
these two extraordinary masks. One may well ask why Dante is subjected to the two masks, one beautiful and the other horrid and deeply disturbing. Clearly the first represents the true church. The second shows how the outward institution of the church is hijacked by rogues to only too often and those perverse souls which weave their way into any institution and which do not rest until they dominate it. I can't help finding creeping into my mind William Blake when he says the outward ceremony, ceremony is the Antichrist. The first mask with the splendid pageant of Holy Scripture the mystery of the Incarnation and the arrival of Beatrice and Dante's confession of sin is surely the poet's concept of the ideal of the church, the spiritual church in which he believes and from which he has received much grace. The second, when understood in the wider context of church history in the West with its apocalyptic references to the book of Revelation, portrays the West as the portrayer, a portrayer, not only of the church, but of civilization. We who know the consequences of the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation, the greed of empire, the Enlightenment, the Industrial Age, revolution, tyrannical dictators, capitalism, communism, nuclear energy, science without ethics, globalization with all its ecological consequences, may well look at ourselves and ask where it all went wrong. How did the chimera of a utopian materialism come to substitute the kingdom of Christ? May I speculate for a moment and imagine Dante standing beside us and saying something like this to us. Just look at the historical facts, my fellow pilgrims. And you will conclude, if nations do make amends, the corruption that I witnessed during my lifetime will go on breeding beasts with seven heads and yet more bully boy giants and far more seductive and subtle harlots. The West will eventually poison, if it's not careful, all nations with a false materialism. Worse still, sacred tradition will eventually be squandered and the true nature of the church will become lost, except for the faithful remnant. God is dead will soon become the cry and hurrah! Now we can do as we like. The figure of Beatrice revealed me these matters. What can the remnant do but embrace her, who is wisdom, who in the last mask shown to me sat on the roots of the tree of life with the virtues all about her and being the custodian of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
read the signs of the times, says Dante, and return to the true church, the spiritual church, the church of the heart. Thus, this also helps us to explain Dante's prophecies that the Greyhound, capital G, will return to purify the world. He believed that not only that Christ would return to judge the living and the dead, but also that a just emperor would come one day to reform the ways of Rome and heal the divisions of Italy. In this, of course, he was deluded. No such individual has ever appeared except for political tyrants. The two masks are therefore there to illustrate truth and falsity. Reality in the real sense of the word and the ephemeral illusion. They are acted out for Dante's and our own benefit, showing us the meaning of Beatrice and to prepare us for the teachings and insights of paradise. Canto 33, the last one. The nymphs, or virtues, weep with the words of Psalm 79. O God, the heathen have come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defied, and made Jerusalem a heap of stones. Remember, in Dante's time, the church had been usurped and taken into captivity, Avignon. The words of the whole psalm should be read, the special attention given to the first eight verses. Beatrice becomes sad, like St. Mary at the foot of the cross, for what has been witnessed in the second mask, the rape of the church, was the destruction of God's vessel. Note the word Vaso in line 34. The virtuous nymphs gather around her and she stands up and now inspired quotes words of our Lord relating to his death and resurrection. A little while and you shall not see me and again a little while and you shall see me. John um, 16, line 16. Her refer words here refer to the papacy's removal to Avignon and its eventual return to Rome 56 years after Dante's death. So that's one prophecy Dante got right. Beatrice, in the role of wisdom, and hence preceded by her nymphs, walks on, but soon turns to Dante, telling him to catch up with her and feel free to ask her questions. Her tone has changed, for she now addresses him as brother. 
He, on the other hand, continues to address, address her as Madonna with a respectful voice. And this will be so until virtually the conclusion of the great poem. Dante is embarrassed. Surely she knows his need and what is good for him. She insists that he asks her questions and be not like a man dreaming. Um, lines uh, 32 to 33. Voglio che tu ormai ti disvelupi, sicché non parli più comon che sogna. In other words, this is very important, I'm sure this is important from my own experience, we must have confidence and through prayer ask of wisdom that our dreamy minds be clarified so as that we are able to ask the right questions. Knowing what is uppermost in, uppermost in his mind, Beatrice proceeds to comment on the seventh episode of the second mask that were in lines um, 31 um, to 78. The chariot's removal represents the papacy in exile, Avignon. The punishment for a crime against the church is not easily avoided and there will come, according to Dante, a wise emperor who will cleanse the chariot of its usurpers. The 515 prophecy uttered by, uttered by Beatrice through Germantria, and that is the relationship of the Hebrew letters to numbers, and obviously Dante is thinking in terms of St. John's number of the beast, 666, <coughs> which may be decoded um, to represent Nero. Um, 515 um, may be similarly decoded to indicate the Emperor Henry VII. This is perplexing, for Henry died in 1313 in his Dante, writing, I presume, this part of the Purgatorio after Henry's death. We know Dante admired the young Emperor, and maybe what is intended here is Henry being an ideal, an example for others. And it must be remembered that Dante lived in an age of prophecies from Joachim of Flora, who lived about 1132 to 1202 onwards, up to Savonarola, when Italy, Italy was rife with prophecies of doom. These are indicative, in my mind, of the unease and psychic psychic apprehension that was being intuitively recognized at a deep level what was truly happening or about to happen in the West. And Dante is commissioned by Beatrice to teach those who live the life that is a race to death, that's line 54, that the misuse of the tree of life can only bring wrong knowledge of good and evil and can only bring harm to nature, <coughs> ourselves as individuals and the church, Christendom.
um, line. Um, well, sorry, I haven't. Hold on a moment. Lines 58 to 60. Who robs it and rends it enacts blasphemy, offending God by whom twas made and meant for his, capital H, sole use, a thing of sanctity. False delights and an egotistical inquisitive knowledge, I refer you there back to Canto um, 26 of the Inferno, the, the episode of Ulysses, leave a stain on our minds and they become clouded and eventually hardened to truth. Otherwise we would immediately perceive the divine justice and mystery of the form. All that Dante has seen was presented to him for his enlightenment and learning. He like ourselves, has wasted too much time on worldly so-called philosophies, forgetting that true and sacred knowledge does not derive its principles from any human knowledge. Rather, it comes from divine knowledge, which, if we were to give it a chance, will set all our limited knowledge in a right order and a correct perspective. Alas, Beatrice perceives that Dante's mind is as dull as a stone. I just go aside there a moment. The concept of the mind is a rough stone. It has to be polished so that it reflects the light. It is a traditional image. Uh, so Beatrice perceives that Dante's mind is as dull as a stone. And it does not shine or reflect as yet real teaching and insight. This will come with his ascent through the heavens of paradise. At least he must now try to carry such matters in his heart. And if he cannot later write about them, at least he must attempt somehow to illustrate them to men. Dante exclaims that his mind is like wax beneath the pressure of a signet ring and that his mind has been stamped and that he will strive to follow her words. He is reminded that his old channels of thought are no longer of use. It was a wrong schooling, that is, the cult of Aristotle and the separation of philosophy from theology. Dante finds, however, that he cannot remember his past, for he has drunk of the waters of Lethe. And so Beatrice leads the poet to the fountain from which the waters of Lethe in Anoe, which means well-minded, flow, waters of good remembrance. Matilda encourages him to drink. Dante has restored to him the remembrance of sin as a fact in time, but now as an occasion for grace through forgiveness and blessedness. O Felix Culpa. He is now in the context of his vision and tale, pure and prepared to leap up to the stars. <laughs>